This week on Life and Faith. I don't think I'm the only person who found that journey challenging. And I think, you know, that's a lot to do with your search for identity, I guess. You know, a lot of Aboriginal people are going through this search no matter what age they are. And my journey for that started quite young. Um, so leaving my family and my community behind and it was a bit of a culture shock when I hit Sydney and I you know, come from a 98% Aboriginal community to a multicultural school down here. It was um, hard to find my place in all of that. We have entered into an amusing ourselves to death moment in history. It doesn't make sense to me. If there is God, God's supposed to be free. I was 100% sure that I was sacrificing on the altar of truth my only chance for happiness in this world. Miracles don't necessarily change anybody's mind. It just gets their attention. And so I had to run with my child on my back, the Isa army coming behind us. I said, gee, Uncle George, this is luxurious for a communist. <laughs> Sonny said nothing's too good for the worker, nothing. Welcome to Life and Faith from CPX. I'm Simon Smart. On the 10th of December 1992, Australia's Prime Minister Paul Keating rose to his feet in Redfern Park in central Sydney and delivered what would become perhaps his most famous speech. And he made a few. Well, this speech is studied at schools and in universities alongside speeches by Martin Luther King. The occasion was the launch of the International Year of the World's Indigenous People. It was a crowded inner city park with lots of noise and a makeshift stage for the Prime Minister to speak from. Well, Paul Keating issued a huge challenge to Australia that day. Well, I'm very pleased to be here today at the launch of Australia's celebration of the 1993 International Year of the World's Indigenous People. It will be a year of great significance for Australia. It comes at a time when we've committed ourselves to succeeding in the test which so far we've always failed. Because in truth, we cannot confidently say that we've succeeded if we've not managed to extend opportunity and care, dignity and hope to the Indigenous people of Australia, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Redfern is a good place to contemplate these things as Sol said a few moments ago, just a mile or two from this place where the first European settlers landed, in too many ways it tells us that the failure to bring much more than devastation and demoralisation to Aboriginal Australia continues to be our failure. Keating's speech is well worth reading in full. He had a big emphasis on justice and equity and stressed that those abstract terms need concrete actions and building blocks of change, as he called them. When we see improvement, when we see more dignity, more confidence, more happiness, we will know we're going to win, he said. Now, this was the challenge in 1992 and nearly 30 years later. This challenge, that Indigenous people would not be denied their place in modern Australia, has not been fully met. There's been some excellent progress in some areas, but most people would acknowledge there's a long way to go. Indigenous health stats are grim, the suicide rates are double the rest of the population. Incarceration rates are terrible. 27% of the prison population is Indigenous, when Indigenous people only make up about 3% of the population in general. All these statistics tell a story that continues to plague our nation and cry out for solutions. 
Well, what do you do in the face of huge, seemingly insurmountable challenges? Well, sometimes you have to dream and get creative and take some risks. Today on Life and Faith, the story of a group of people who did just that and the difference it has made and continues to make in people's lives. The story really begins in 2005 when I visited um, South Africa and saw a range of schools in Johannesburg, many of them well-to-do schools, but one in particular struck me, and that was a school for the children of Soweto um, in parish halls in Hauten, um, in a um, well-to-do part of, of Joburg. And I couldn't get the thought out of my mind. I'd come away from a Sydney that had just had the uh, Redfern riots in 2004, um, TJ Hickey, Uh, lost his life in those riots, the pain was real. And the story of Australian reconciliation was strongly in my mind as I went through the new South Africa with the Ubuntu metaphor being used everywhere. And I, instead of um, responding to the many requests that I had on that conference to assist African schools whose need was significant, I couldn't get out of my mind what we were doing for our first people who were on the bottom of so many Uh, educational uh, rungs on the ladder. Um, So much disadvantage was synonymous with Aboriginal experience. And my school at the time, uh, St Andrews, was two railway stops away from where the Redfern riots took place. Um, And we felt we had done some good things at the school and what were we doing to give back in response to that? So Education, as Mandela says, is the key, the best weapon that we have against poverty and injustice. Um, Schools like ours then can respond to that. And uh, that's where it came from. Um, But it's one thing to have an idea. It's quite another to actually enter into that complex narrative myself. And I knew not what I did when I jumped in, um, but I gave it a go. This is Philip Heath. These days, he's the headmaster of Barker College in Sydney's north, but from 1995 to 2009, he was the head of St Andrew's School in the centre of Sydney. Now, these are elite private schools. They're high-fee-paying, old by Australian standards, long traditions, ivy on the brick walls, that kind of thing. Philip working very closely not only with his school council, but Indigenous leaders from the area, decided to establish a school for Indigenous students within the larger school. The school is called Gawara, and it's been operating now for 13 years. Philip's absolutely essential partners in crime in this endeavour were Pastor Ray Minikin and his wife Sharon. Ray is a cubby-cubby Aboriginal man and leader in his community, and we've had him on Life and Faith before. Now, Ray explains that when he was the chair of the Anglican Archbishop's Indigenous Ministry Committee that was establishing Aboriginal churches, he gained some confidence that there could be help in other areas as well. We weren't expecting a call from St Andrew's Cathedral School. That was the last call that we'd ever expect. But uh, as Philip will tell you, Philip Heath will tell you, he just came back from Africa and saw some of the models over there and says, we can do something for Aboriginal people here. And my wife and I, we were sitting down thinking, well, how can we stop this incredible pathway that our people are going, this freeway from school to jail? Where, where is the systems that we can do? Because in the Aboriginal education system, we knew that no child could fail the Aboriginal education system. It's impossible. 
But the moment you take that child out of that system and put them in this system, suddenly they're a failure. And my theory is it's not the flaming child that's a failure, it's the system. And so how do you find a system that can actually be there for the child? And so that's where it came. It came from a call from Philip Heath when I was the uh, chairperson there of the Indigenous uh, Ministries Committee. We set up a, a little task force and we were looking at the inner city there. It wasn't easy just to set up the task force there and start to do the consultations with all the stakeholders within in the community, including all the schools in that area. And they weren't very happy with us coming into their territory, especially a school like St Andrew's Cathedral School. Here's Philip Heath again. I actually wanted somebody to land a blow on this to show me that it was fanciful, absurd, unnecessary and destructive. It just never happened. Uh, I almost found myself praying for that. Um, <laughs> um, but it never happened. Um, and it never happened because at its core is the idea that every child deserves an opportunity. And our first people maybe preeminently, and that our country has an ache in its soul that could be addressed through education. I'm not a politician, I'm not a lawyer. Um, this is not about constitutional reform, but this is something that can happen now and for our children now that could offer them an opportunity to change their lives. And that's pretty enticing. Gawara was born with a philosophy and an approach that put Indigenous people and culture at the centre. My father and grandfather, both Indigenous, are from Gumbangia Nation in Nambaka Heads. Um, they both came to Sydney a long, long time ago, uh, around 1930, and uh, settled in Redfern. Okay. Yeah. So you're yeah. not too far from, this is hometown for you, right? Oh, it's hometown for me, yeah. yeah. No. You're a Rabbitohs supporter? Is there any other team? Oh, gosh. This is John Ralph, an Indigenous man and head of Gawara School. So Gawara School is a school within a school. We are a 100% Indigenous school inside St Andrew's Cathedral School here in uh, Sydney in the CBD, uh, pretty much right next to the Sydney Town Hall. Um, it was there to address the scandalous results that Indigenous students were getting um, at school level. We know that Indigenous students were not achieving at the same rate as their non-Indigenous peers. And although there have been lots of different programs and, I guess, money and funding put towards to try and make that different, uh, sadly, the results have not been there. And so uh, Pastor Ray and Philip had a bit of a chance meeting and was put forward that a you know school be created for primary school, be created for Indigenous students, and predominantly from the inner city area. So we're talking about Woolloomooloo and Redfern and Waterloo, Piermont and Glebe, and that's where the majority of our students come from. And, you know, we have a bus that goes around and picks those students up, which is lovely. But what we've found since the inception of our school here is that our results have made a difference to the Indigenous students. We're finding that our Year 5 net plan results are on par with uh, the rest of the state, with non-Indigenous students. And so compared to our like schools, we're above like schools, but when you look at our state average, we're actually, you know, hitting those benchmarks, which we're, you know, very proud to see. We're very lucky today to have 10 Indigenous staff members as part of our school. 
one of the big selling points for our Indigenous families is that they actually see and recognise that we value Indigenous input into schools. And so we've got two Indigenous bus drivers, we've got a, an Indigenous community liaison officer, our four um, Indigenous staff members are teaching in front of the students. One of those ladies is an Indigenous elder from Bathurst, so from Wiradjuri Nation, and you know she teaches our students um, Wiradjuri language, which is great. Isaac Rigby Sebastian was the first student to go right through Gawara and onto the HSC. He's now at university, and this clip comes from a promotional video. I'm from South Australia. Um, I was born in a mission, Point McKay Mission. Uh, it's three hours away from Adelaide. Um, you have to go on a boat to get there. It's quite isolated. Then I moved to Sydney when I was seven days old. My passion is uh, science. I love playing video games as well. Uh, I just love being a teenager. I play didgeridoo, I sing, and I play the violin. Coming into Gora, the opportunities are amazing. We're on excursions, I learned so much about my culture just from Gora. Um, uh, and just the peers also, being in the all indigenous environment is really encouraging and it's like more comfortable. An important question is, what's distinctive about Gawara School? What's it offering that's valuable? John Ralph again. I mean, the first thing in any education, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous, is building relationships, but particularly in Indigenous communities where historically there can be some, you know, mistrust or a lack of confidence in perhaps the authority uh, around education. Uh, here that they see that we have Indigenous staff on board, all of our parents are able to contact us at any time. Um, all of my parents have my personal mobile number, so we're, we can text That's each other. That's a brave thing for a teacher to yeah, it, 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 it is brave. And, you know, <laughs> previously some other people have suggested you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I have to say the, the Indigenous parents that I deal with have been very, you know, respectful and wonderful about that. I do get texts from them anytime, but it's not, you know, midnight on a Sunday night or anything. It's just that form of communication that's really important. Yeah. How would you describe the philosophy of the school? Well, we teach the New South Wales curriculum um, that does have Aboriginal Indigenous perspectives embedded through that, uh, which we also put in place here as well. We have a dedicated person who looks after Indigenous perspectives across the curriculum here. I think the fact that we, we celebrate culture more than really anywhere else, I would suggest, um, we do a, a cultural excursion at least once a term where we engage with local communities. So, for example, um, one excursion, we went on the Tribal Warrior boat uh, that goes out of um, Piermont and we went over to Clark Island and we, you know, boys and girls were told stories from uh, one of the elders from um, Tribal Warrior. Uh, they also learnt about what life was like in and around Sydney Harbour prior to settlement. Um, our students are urban, like they've all come from the inner city, and to actually have Aboriginal knowledge, not everybody knows that. Um, some of our parents do and are happy to share that, which is wonderful. Um, the other thing we've done is we've started to do on-country tours. And so, as I said to you before, a number of our families come from a variety of different nations. Now, Wiradjuri is the one nation that they most have a connection with, that most of our families come from. Uh, but we do have a, a lovely family from um, Wandi Wandia Nation on the south coast. Uh, they come from Jeringa Aboriginal Mission out near Orient Point, um, just 
uh, east of Nowra. And so last year we engaged with that Indigenous family to help us um, provide authentic cultural experiences down there. And so the information is there, but people don't know about it. And so sourcing this out from our families is is wonderful. They are the traditional knowledge holders and, um, you know, we don't want that knowledge to ever die out. And as we kind of say in all of our acknowledgements of country, we talk about how we pay respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Well, it's the emerging that we want to have the knowledge so they can pass it on to generations that will follow us. A really important part of what goes on at Gawara is the teaching of Indigenous culture and language. Here's Pastor Ray Minikin. It's such an important part of it because we're not white people. And the, one of the fears that a lot of our community had that this was another assimilation policy or an integration policy. And we had to work through that. All those political fears and, uh, that our people had. Uh, one parent said that this is like another stolen generation. And that's their feeling because we've had this history, uh, not only with the government, but also with the church. The church took so many of our children. And so all of those fears are there. They're still there. They're not gone away. But what we did find when we first started out, which was beyond our, uh, you know, level of comprehension, was the fact that when we had the school in there, lots of the parents sent their children to St Andrews because we had an Aboriginal school. And that attitudinal change in society was a very positive uh, plus for us to realise that they too wanted to make sure that their children grew up in a much more cohesive society. They all wanted to know more about Aboriginal culture and talking with the students in the school, that's what they want to know. They want to know Aboriginal people, they want to know Aboriginal culture, they want to learn from Aboriginal people and it should be a part of the curriculum so that uh, there is this sense of uh, deeper understanding and, and I think deeper maturity for the country. This is Life and Faith from CPX and we're telling the story of Gawara School today. It's an Indigenous school within a larger school. And this is a story that's full of intrigue and possibility and challenge. At least that's how I've encountered it. And that's become more true the more I've dug into this story. Now, some of these interviews were done in the school. Now, schools everywhere can be pretty noisy places, so you'll have to forgive the bits where the kids come bustling out of the classrooms. Growing up for me, I come from a majority Aboriginal community um, called Gadooga. It's uh, located northwest New South Wales. We're about 33 k's from the Queensland border and approximately 70 k's to Lightning Ridge, five hours to the nearest Woolworths and Kmart and Big W. So um, those sort of trips were pretty good for us when we were kids. I went to Gadooga Central School. My mum was a teacher there and my dad was a shearer. He's been a shearer since he was 17 and only retired probably within the last five years. Um, Semi-retired. Now he's owning a truck and business so my family don't know how to slow down and sometimes that rubs off on me. I, you know, I'm a pretty hard worker. Um, Moved away from Gadooga when I was 12. My parents sent me away to Sydney to go to school. Moved in with my older sister and then, you know, I I started my school journey and my two younger sisters needed to have educational opportunities so we took them in. So, you know, the definition of an extended family and the kinship and looking after one another. 
This is Lavinia Gibbs. She's an Indigenous woman, a teacher at Gawara, and a mum to two of the kids at the school. So she's heavily invested. Was that a good experience for you? It was a tough one. It was a hard one. I I don't think I'm the only person who found that journey challenging. And I think, you know, that's a lot to do with your search for identity, I guess. You know, Mm. a lot of Aboriginal people are going through this search no matter what age they are. And my journey for that started quite young. Mm. Um, So leaving my family and my community behind and... It was a quick move. It was severed, so I guess there was a bit of a culture shock when I hit Sydney and I, you know, come from a 98% Aboriginal community to a multicultural school down here. It was um, hard to find my place in all of that. So yeah. uh, it was definitely a huge change. And I live with my grandma over at Alexandria and my two cousins, and um, and I probably moved schools about four times in Sydney. So I definitely um, had a bumpy journey once I left, but. I did get through school, I did sit my HSE and um, had a bit of a break for a year and then I went to university and decided to set my career path. That must have been a huge culture shock coming from Gadooga. I know a little bit about these sort of little places and um, growing up in the northwest of New South Wales myself and coming to Sydney uh, must have been a huge shift for you. Definitely um, a big learning curve like, you know, when when I look at your face and you say it must have been a huge shock, I think the things that come to mind, um, you know, were the baseball games out on the muddy flat. Um, You know, we we could walk down to the river straight after school and go crayfishing with all of our cousins. You know, marbles at the front of the school. It was only 100 metres from home to school, so we pretty much had a fair bit of daylight between the end of the school day and and night time. So we were out for, you know, three and four hours after school riding motorbikes and making shanghais with with each other and, (laughs) you know, chasing birds. And so that the cultural aspect was built into our everyday lives. Um, and then having to move to Sydney, I probably only really come to grips with the reasons why my parents did send me away um, within the last three or four years, um, especially since being a part of Gawara School and realising the importance of role models and and having access to, you know, a good consistent education and and people who are really there behind the cause. But at the time it was... um, it actually really impacted on, I guess, my mental health as a teenager, um, my identity, my place in life, my direction, not really having a lot of those um, community members around to guide or cheer you on or, you know, it kind of, in a sense, felt lonely. For someone like Lavinia, her experiences of being wrenched from her culture in order to get a good education underscores what's so valuable about what Gawara is providing. For somebody who didn't have it as a result of that journey, I feel like providing that cultural base for the students um, allows them to to feel safe within the school environment. Um, It allows them to be able to decipher their purpose or talk about their purpose. Um, It allows them to see role models and mentors and people around them who can help them unfold the educational process because it can be quite daunting especially when our kids are coming from families who haven't had family members go through high school or you know haven't had a really good school retention rate or who are suffering a a lot of the um, disadvantages that a lot of our Aboriginal communities are faced with you know like um, low income earners and you know um, overcrowded housing and lack of access to education so for me having experience 
a lot of those disadvantages, it allows me to see within my students what role I can play to support them through the experiences that they're going through so that they can feel a sense of, you know, this is normal for me um, and there is a way to get through it and there are people here to support and guide me and I'm not alone. When you think about the place of your people today and some of the you know more sobering statistics we sometimes hear and you know, difficulties and so on with, the com- with different communities how's that relate to how you get motivated here with what you can do here at Gawara? Oh mate when my engines when my tank's empty it's those things that I think about that make me come into school every day. I have to be here. I need to be here. I want to be here. Um, I try not to look too much into all the negative stuff. You know, I'm, I'm very sensitive to all of the things that impact on us culturally and individually and, you know, as a, as a little school community. Um, so, you know, I, I very much have my mum's drive in the sense that you've got to take the positive out of things and just work with what you've got, you know, and try to live in the present and understand that we can only work the patch that we have, you know, and, and hope that it adds to the bigger picture. And, and I can definitely see that, especially being in this school that we do add to the bigger picture. I was keen to hear from each of our guests today, what's the best thing about Gawara in their minds? First, Lavinia, then head of the school, John Ralph, then Pastor Ray Minikin. Education has always been a major part of my life with my mum being a school teacher and and they obviously um, valued it enough to send me away to uh, gain a better access to education, you know, away from a lot of the things that could have potentially held me back from accessing school. But the revival of culture is the major thing for me, like to be able to be here. So to bring those two most important aspects of, of my my being and, and my spirituality and, you know, what makes me who I am and putting them both together and then being able to play a role in the delivery of that to other students, that's the most exciting thing about being here is that I'm able to... Um, help the revival of culture and help the revival of language um, and tie it up in a nice big ball of school and, you know, we're giving kids a really good kickstart to, to life. For me, when I go home at night, I'm exhausted and I put my head down to sleep and I go, that was a good day today, you know. Um, you kind of know you've helped make a difference somewhere. Um, for me, the best thing about Gawara is the fact that we openly acknowledge Indigenous culture We're not afraid to talk about uh, the truth-telling that is required for true reconciliation. And we've actually got reconciliation in place happening here at our school. As I said to you before, we're a school within a school, so we're only, you know, 31 students K-6, to but we're also part of a junior school that has over 400 students. And our students um, all learn Wiradjuri, but also there's 400 kids in the junior school that learn Wiradjuri too. Mm -hmm. And so you've got non-Indigenous kids knowing culture and wanting to know more about it. Not just the Aboriginal kids, but the non-Aboriginal kids too are very thirst, have a, a quench of thirst for this knowledge. And it's beautiful to see. Two things. One from a parent. When I first took some of the parents into... Uh, St Andrews and we were walking around showing them the, you know, incredibly amazing facilities and equipment and educational opportunities that this school offered. Uh, I was on tenderhooks because I asked one of the parents then, I said, brother, would you send your child to this school? And he looked at me and said, oh, brother, I want to go to this school. Now, what that father was saying was that within this school 
with all of its history, there was a culture there of learning. And that's different. He could feel it and he could sense it. The spirit of learning was there, the culture of learning. And that was really a significant thing for me to hear from that father. And from a young student, we had gone out to do some uh, talks into a one of the sponsors that we had and just to let them know how we were going. And I, I went along and I gave this big spiel about education like I'm doing here now. And I said to the young girl, I said, listen, would you like to come up and say a few words about your experiences at Gawara? And she said these words, and it's still ringing in my ear today. She said, education is about choice. And that finished it for me. Education is about choice. And now that young girl, I just wrote a uh, recommendation for her to go to Oxford. And she's now in Oxford. Because education is about choice. Beyond the all of the politics of it all, whether it be private, public, Catholic, education is about choice. Right from the beginning, those who were planning to establish Gawara within a church school really had to reckon with the pain and the failures of the church to engage with Indigenous people and to recognise and acknowledge the ways that had gone wrong in the past. And yet, a Christian motivation and foundation of the school was thought of as essential. Ray Minikin explains. It's just fundamental. It's just a natural, normal part of uh, being an Aboriginal person. We know what faith is. We've lived it for the last 60,000 years. It's nothing new to us. Um, So our faith in our Creator has always been there. It's unquestionable. It's just natural, normal. And Philip Heath. I think justice is the precursor to peace. And we all crave peace, but peace is probably illusory and elusive uh, without justice. So what is, the, what is the issue of justice? What do our first people think? It's not what maybe the commentariat may talk about. It's what do our people, our first people think? Um, the absence of justice is an enemy of peace, therefore. So we must address this at the level of justice the best contribution that I felt that, that I and we could make would be to address educational needs so that we could, this narrative of closing the gap, uh, which has been around since the Bringing Them Home report uh, in the mid-90s um, and has been a sorry story for us even of late, um, needs to be disrupted by a different model to the one that we had hitherto tried, repeatedly tried, which is just get them to school, teach them, take away their benefits if they don't come. Um, Highly punitive, highly negative, highly about a concept of deficit. And I think, therefore, that as as a Christian, as a Christian school, we need to go to the place where hurt exists and engage with it graciously and lovingly, but also with humility and say, you know what, we probably need to learn a lot about their experience and it could make me stronger too. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were brave enough to say, what can we learn from our first people? It took a bushfire to stop us, I think, to make us stop and think and listen. But wouldn't it be amazing if we honoured prior knowledge and recognised it and stood back in wonder and said, teach us how to be Australians together? 
teach us together how to be Australians. And then if you set that against the backdrop of a of a belief in a loving God who loves justice, that's a that's a pretty powerful story to build a future on. This has been Life and Faith with me, Simon Smart. A big thanks today to John Collier, head of St Andrew's School, allowing us to hear these stories. Thanks to John Ralph, head of Gawara, and to Lavinia Gibbs and Ray Minikin for letting us in on the story of the school. Thanks also to our producer, Anthea Godsmark, and Alan Douthwaite for helping out too today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do let your friends know. Pass it on to someone you think will appreciate it. Next week. I've become sceptical, if not cynical, over the years about the redemptive power of sport because I've seen the lows as well as the highs. But I do believe that there is such a thing as the Olympic spirit. In ancient times, um, they declared a truce at the time of the Olympics. All the wars stopped and everyone let everyone travel to wherever they needed to go to get to the Olympic Games. And there's a little element of that about the modern Olympics uh, where for for that two weeks, um, everyone goes to to a different level and, and Sydney had that in spades.